When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better. How will the Thunder respond to their Game 6 loss? Is Russ playing any differently on the court? How important are the role players for OKC? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on the show in a late night recording session, Fred Katz who is the Thunder Beat reporter for the Norman Transcript. And uh, Fred, thanks for coming on the show. And let's get into this uh, into this craziness of a seven-game series. Do you feel that Game 6 was one of the top ten games of all time? <laughs> hmm. Wow, that's tough. I haven't like actually thought out my top ten. Can, can I just say it was incredible and leave it at that? I mean, it was amazing. It was no. amazing. Everything from the environment to the game to the individual performances of, of, of Curry down the stretch and obviously Thompson. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. So you were in the arena um, and I talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, the idea of the, the crowd in, OK, in OKC to me is is sort of a ravenous, you know, out for blood, mean crowd. Like that sounds that way on TV. And I'm curious if it feels that way when you're there. Uh, which might be different than other, you know, boisterous crowds. There's something with an edge to it. Is it? Do you feel it when you're there? Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's definitely. I haven't been to every arena. It's definitely the loudest arena I've ever been to. Like really comfortably. I say the loudest arena, not the loudest crowd, because I do think that 18,000 people screaming in Oakland is probably the same level of of sound as 18,000 people screaming in Oklahoma. But the way the building is and the fans are right on top of the crowd and it's kind of small and the acoustics of of just kind of how it's built. I mean, it's it's a crazy environment and they they get they they do get loud about everything. I mean, I've covered a lot of Nets games in my life and uh, it's not like Barclays. I'll tell you that much. Wow. Okay. That's fair enough. Now, we're talking about uh, the game six a little bit. And, uh, you know, what's the temperature on the ground from the OKC side? I mean, certainly there were some miscues down the stretch, uh, which kind of reared their ugly head in the way that we've seen, you know, in a regular season with close games with OKC. So what were they saying? What was the feeling? Was this a, 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 an anomaly or is this something that we're thinking is a, is a close game with the Thunder and they're going to give you an opportunity to just take it away from them? You know, this team seems seems to be, I think, a little bit more mature than that. I know they had that stretch, especially in March, where they were just kind of letting go fourth quarter leads over and over again. Um, I, I think this team is a little bit mentally stronger than that. Um, I mean, they did win on the road. I think they kind of realized that 
Clay Thompson had an exceptional night. I mean, I think there are two ways to look at that game, right? You can look at it as they they had they passed the ball as Tom Haverstrow tweeted today. They passed the ball more than one time on only one of their final 13 possessions and the offense stalled and they scored I think five points and had five six turnovers in the last 5 minutes of the game. And the offense inarguably did not look good down the stretch by any it just it was it was bad offense. Uh whether you want to talk schematically or execution-wise whatever it was, it was bad offense. And it could have been cuz they were tired cuz Durant and Westbrook had played a lot of minutes, but it still took the best shooting performance maybe in playoff history to beat them in a really close game and Curry just playing like, you know, hot MVP Curry. Uh, and it still came down to almost the last possession with Steph basically icing it with that seal with 14 seconds left. I mean, if Clay doesn't have a historic shooting night, uh, then we're probably talking about that series being wrapped up. So I think there are two ways to to look at it. And when it takes the two best shooters in the NBA shooting at their absolute peak levels to barely beat you, I think you can almost frame that as an encouraging game if you want to. Sure. I, I like looking at it. You're right, because I, I'm looking at a lot of the shots that like Clay hit. Some of them were certainly ridiculously tough and, and hard and not like, oh, they fell asleep completely and left them open. Some of them they did. And I guess the argument is that when you do that against these guys, it makes those really hard shots a little bit easier because they're, you know, they're locked in. I don't think uh, everybody you know can agree in a way that, like, especially with these guys. And it, what's interesting to me is that Throughout this season, I feel like we've, we've seen Steph Curry and the old codgers who are complaining about the Curry defense. They're right in some degree because I would say 20% of Steph's threes were on the worst defense imaginable during the season, right? Like this guy's forgetting where he is. And so um, the, the question there is, is like when, when that happens, what we've seen is it gets them going and all of a sudden those difficult shots are, are easier. So... I suppose, what are they going to be able to do going into Game 7? I mean, is there any kind of different mindset they're going to take or any adjustments they're going to try? Uh, or are they just going to play the same game again and, and, and count on Clay not being as hot? I think it's, I think it's the Steve Clifford defense, right? How, how Clifford had that press conference at, at I think it was, it, was, it was during the first round. And, well, obviously, because they got eliminated in the first round against the Heat. And somebody asked him about adjustments. And he said, it's not about making adjustments. We don't need to make adjustments. Our schemes, our game plan, it's all right. Sometimes you just make shots. And when you make shots, it looks good. And when you miss shots, it looks bad. Um, I think, I mean, execution-wise, there are things they can do better. Uh, I don't know if that counts as an adjustment. I think of adjustments more as a coach changing a scheme or a matchup or something like that. But, I mean, I thought Russ was – I thought it was his worst defensive game of the series. Um, He was was gambling like crazy. Uh, I have no idea if the numbers do or could back this up. I've never seen anything on this. My personal theory is that when Russ gets a steal early in the game, he becomes even more gambly. Uh, because it, he kind of gets encouraged. And I, that's something that I've noticed. It's totally anecdotal. Um, it could just be my eyes seeing what it wants to see. But he has his most gambling games to me uh, when when he just gets a steal really early in the game. And it happened again last night. And he had four steals last night. It was in part because he was just jumping in front of passing lanes. But I think some of the open threes that Steph got off and that Clay got off were in part because Russ was kind of jumping a passing lane or doing that thing where he goes around to pick and roll and tries to poke the ball out from behind and, and ends up getting beaten. You know, someone has to rotate into a spot where they're not supposed to, where they don't, they don't want to, and somebody ends up open. Um, I think that happened a bunch last night, and I think if Russ cuts down on the gambling, which he's going to gamble, it's just going to happen. But I, I think if uh, 
you know, he, I think he was better with it uh, than he normally is in the first five games of the series. I think if he can get back to that in game seven, which is totally possible because he did it for five straight games to start, uh, that's, that's a good starting point for their defense. You know, one anecdotal observation that I think I, I feel like I've made watching Russ play over the course of this series in particular is, you know, a lot of times when you're watching him, he sort of plays with a primordial rage. And, like, he's angry. And it fuels him and it's let Russ be Russ. It doesn't feel like he's playing that way now. He seems a little bit subdued. Am I crazy? Is that just like, you know, my, my TV impression? Or does it feel that way when you're there? I don't get that impression. I, I think I think he's playing. I think he's playing his butt off. He's uh, he has he has crazy energy. I mean, maybe maybe it's different when you. I, I think he's one of the guys where on TV and in person, it's just a different experience. Like John Wall is like that too. It's hard to appreciate his speed and his energy on TV. I mean, you can see it because he's just so athletic and he's so fast and he finishes so strong and goes so hard when he has the ball. Um, but, and John Wall's like that too, but when it's in person, it's just a different kind of experience. And, um, I I don't get that impression. I mean, Mm. I've, I've watched game films after, so I've seen the TV version. I, I, I don't, I don't get that impression. I mean, at least on offense. I mean, look, there are times where he takes off quarters on defense for certain. And if that's what you're referencing, then no, then, yeah, I, I'm just happen, like, but, like maybe they, they're not cutting into it enough, but maybe like you would see these close-ups of him, and it's just like his reactions to everything conveys, you know, this this anger. Like you know, like like uh, he'll probably call it, you know, you know his his intensity. But to me, it just feels like mad. But but I feel like a lot of the shots now we cut to him, and he just. He's kind of, you know, his face, it's his face, facial expressions, like they're kind of calm and sort of, you know, almost like, like, not like what Seth looks like, but a little bit like how Seth tends to have that Neo from the Matrix look. And um, I don't know, I just, I wonder if, you know, I mean, he's still racking up and, you know, every kind of stat imaginable in, in crazy quantities. So it's not like it's affecting his play. But um, I don't know. I just it was one thing I noticed, and I just wanted you know. So you, you you feel like he's still that the same Russ, intense scowling right there, right every play. Yeah, I get that impression. Uh, I I do. I mean, maybe I'm missing something. Um, I think I think you. I tend to not notice body language. That's okay. I I I put I put little importance on that. Not because I think it doesn't matter. Just because I think that. I'm so bad at evaluating it that whatever I take away from it, it's not like that's not going to be the correct impression. And if it is, it's just because I got lucky. So I just tend to kind of just not even notice it. So you you could be right, but I just I haven't noticed it. Okay, fair enough. Um, Well, we're also looking at like what Kevin Durant did. So it's it's really interesting because we had this press conference where – uh, you know, they, and even when they asked about about Steph's defense, and I, I don't know if you've been around Twitter, you know, I've been posting these videos of you know uh, of Russ being guarded by Curry. Um, I've seen. You know, to me, here's what I thought. Uh, you know, because Kevin Durant actually gave a relatively thoughtful answer. I thought he said, you know, he moves his feet well. He's got quick hands, and like those are all. Ra- and he doesn't guard Russ all the time. So those are like the three big facts that Kevin Durant said. I don't think that was dismissive or anything. But we have the, the laughing by, by Russ. And in my mind, it was almost like, I bet you Russ doesn't even know whether or not he was, he's been lighting up Curry or not. I mean, I think he just think, he simply thinks he is and doesn't even, wouldn't even necessarily know that he's whatever those numbers are, right? They weren't shooting. I mean, whatever you want to say, right? He was 7 for 25, whatever it was. He wasn't, like, lighting him up. I mean, he was doing well on certain times and not doing well on other, other times. But, like, so my impression with Russ is, like, I don't really know if he would even recognize the nuance of that. Does that sound fair? 
Uh, I think Russ is is smarter than you're giving him credit for in that sense. I think he recognizes that stuff. Uh-huh. I think I think there are two theories that I have for the laugh. One is that something something that somebody tweeted at me, which I think is totally viable, which is that Russ was not even laughing at the notion that Steph was underrated defensively. He was laughing at somebody asking that question. Like he was laughing at the actual question because as I have experienced firsthand now on multiple occasions, Russ will laugh at your questions if he thinks it's a bad question. Ah, I like uh, that. I like that. So so somebody tweeted that to me and I I think that's certainly possible. I don't know why. If he was laughing at the concept of stuff being underrated though, I think I think Russ is aware I don't think he's like an analytics guy and is aware of, you know, that Russ is seven for twenty-five when Steph is his primary defender and whatnot. And and I do think there are flaws in those stats. Uh but I do think he's a really smart basketball guy. Um uh, and I think that his notion, at least privately, is he doesn't even guard me most of the time because they'd rather have Clay guarding him. How good could he possibly be? And when you're as good as Russell Westbrook. I think you're allowed to think like that. Like, I think Russ thinks that he's a better player than Steph. And he may be wrong, but I do think he's good enough to where it's totally justifiable for him to have that mentality. It's part of what makes him great. I don't think Kevin Durant would ever say that he's better than LeBron James. And and I think Kevin Durant maybe is better than LeBron James at this point over the course of 82 games because LeBron has to take, you know, more possessions off over the course of an 82-game season than than Kevin does just because of age. Uh, But, but... I think Kevin believes that he's the best player in the NBA. I think, you know, I think Draymond Green believes he's the best player too. I mean, I just think when you get to a point where you're that good, you the way that you carry yourself is believing that you're better than those guys. And I, I think you you talk about the mental side of the game a lot. I think that that attitude is, even if it's just incorrect from a, a non-biased observer like, you know, the two of us, it's it's totally cool for us to think like that, in my opinion. I think it's part of what makes him as good as he is. Sure. You know, and, and they would probably never admit it either way. Like, that's just not what they're going to do in the middle of a really tough series. Uh, and, you know, but we have seen, you know, uh, LeBron and Kevin Durant and, and Russ, you know, there's a per- perceived disrespect of Steph Curry's game. I think it's been mentioned, I feel like, with other players, too, where, you know, uh, I mean, we've heard it from other, like the, like the Barclays as well, as the notion he's a shooter, like what else can he do? He's a, you know, the trash defender thing really gets me going because he's not a trash defender at all. No, he's a good defender. I mean, he's not he's not Chris Paul. Right. I, I, I think Chris Paul's the best defensive point guard in the league. Uh, but, I mean, that's another conversation. But, I mean, Paul's obviously amazing. But he's certainly a, a good defensive player. I mean, look, if you I don't know what your theory is on this. I would actually be interested to hear your theory. But I don't think a point guard I, – I think point guard defense, if you're talking about the three basic groups of defense in terms of just big man defense, wing defense, point guard defense, I think point guard defense is the defense where you can have average defensive play and it's going to have the least amount of impact on the game in either direction. I think if you have average defensive play from from your bigs, it's more detrimental if you're not getting elite defensive play, and it's more and it's more it's more it's more detrimental if you're getting bad defensive play from your bigs. That's more impactful if you're getting great defensive play from your bigs because you can just help on those back lines so much more and make more of an impact. I think, um, and so Steph, Steph, it's it's really hard to be someone like Chris Paul where you can just be one of the most important defensive players on your team and still be guarding point guards, I think. And Steph is good, but there there are so many great defenders on the Warriors that it's just hard to justify putting him on the best players when you've got Clay and Iguodala and Bogut and Draymond Green and Harrison Barnes and Livingston. I mean, that's six guys who, who you could argue are better than him. 
So I have a, you know, a couple different things there. Now, as far as the average uh, you know, defenders from the point guard position, it just feels like because that position is so uh, talented across the board, I don't know. It feels like average could hurt you because now when they come down, they can blow by you and they really compromise the defense. Um, but you're right. Wings, certainly, you know, there's, a, there's probably more of that attack from the wing, uh, from a wing that would also be – I think average defense can hurt you across the board. Um, and so uh, the other part of that, though, is uh, – wait, what did you say? What was the second part of your point is after that? Just that – I think I think that a I think I said that a a big man can a really good big man can impact a defense more than a really good point guard and a and a really bad one can impact a defense more than a really bad point guard. Okay, right, uh, yeah, and and so so you know it's interesting. I'd have to kind of look at that and really get a handle on that. I just feel like uh, with the yeah, the I guess you know, that's the other point with the point guard position because that's the other thing is they, because they are so good like you are going to get blown by and that is going to be normal like you know there are you know maybe more so than any other position so i like okay i get what you're saying i like it uh and that was the other thing when you say you know russell westbrook like blows by steph it's like well russ will blow by chris paul on mm-hmm. from time yep. to time you know that's what's going to happen and you're going to have to accept that that's a baseline and then from there what else can they do but um, it was kind of interesting vindication to some degree seeing Steph Curry force those turnovers, right? From a defensive standpoint, make legitimate, arguably game-saving plays, right? And that, that to me was really interesting. I feel like still people don't want to accept that from a guy like Steph. And I, I wonder if it's optics. I wonder if it's like, it doesn't look like what they think a defender is supposed to look like. So how could he possibly be good? Yeah, I think it's possible. I also think all this comes down to the fact that in terms of the general public, people don't understand defense. Like I, I wrote about this this, mor- or this morning, actually, for my column that's going to run Monday morning for the paper. People don't really understand defense, and that's why no one talks about defense with – I shouldn't say no one. They, the general public, casual fan, doesn't talk about defense with any kind of nuance. Offense, our brains are able to understand without knowing much about strategy and scheme and that kind of stuff. Because, And you can tell from the way people talk about it. People talk about it with Westbrook all the time. He's not a good shooter, but he's a great driver and a great finisher and a great passer. We break down his offense like that. We don't just say he's good at offense. But for some reason with Andre Robertson, we say – He's a really good defensive player, and we leave it at that. We don't say he's really good at playing against face-up wings, but if you get a bigger, stronger wing, he can post them up and then push him back on the block. Like That's not the way that people talk about Andre Robertson, but that's that's the way we talk about offense versus defense. So I think we pigeonhole a guy like Steph because he he wasn't a great defender when he first came into the league, I don't think. I think he's improved a lot, and I, I certainly think he's a good defender now, and that's a testament to probably his worth at, work ethic and how smart he is and uh, obviously his ability too. And, uh, but, but we don't recognize that stuff because people just don't know enough about defense. So they hear he's not a good defender and they leave it at that. And that's it. Love it. I mean, it's a great uh, description of what you're talking about. And I feel like we can't even quantify it. I had, I still have not seen a good, any kind of like advanced analytic for defense that, that impacted my impression of what they did. Really, this doesn't, none of those things really seem to work for me. And so I think that's part of it. And you're right. It's a very subtle, nuanced thing. There might be ways that certain teams want you to play the defense, and they are doing that. And you might not like it and think he's bad, but he's actually doing, you know, that, that, like the thing with, with Robertson scoring was Steph wanted him to shoot those shots. They wanted him to be open, and that's less shots that KD and Russ are shooting. 
you, you know, so it's almost like, okay, you're going to, we can fault him for, for Robertson getting 15 points or whatever it is. But it's like, yes, that was the game plan uh, to the, some degree. Um, well, you know, let's, let's talk about game seven a little bit. Cause I'm kind of curious here. What, what are your thoughts? What do you think is going to happen going into game seven? Do you, I, do you know what the exact odds are for uh, uh, the home team in a game seven in a conference finals? You know, I was going to look it up today, but I was traveling and I figured I might have internet on the plane and I didn't end up doing it. So I don't know it off the top of my head. I know the home team wins more than the road team. <laughs> I think it's 85%, but I'm not sure if it's Western Conference Finals only because obviously it's skewed if you use like the first round of the playoffs because usually, you know, the home team's going to be in one seed and that's, you know. So for Western Conference Finals, I, 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 it's got to be 80, 85 or something at least. So, um, is that going to affect a team like the Thunder? You know, a month ago, I would have said yes. Now, I'm not so sure. I mean, the Spurs lost one home game all year, and they beat them twice in San Antonio. And, like, that one home game the Spurs lost, it, se- it was near the end of the year. It was, like, their second or third to last home game of the season. And it seemed like it was just, like, Greg Popovich doing it just to troll us, to show us how little he actually cares about going undefeated at home, you know? Right. And, and they, they, they still managed to take two in that series. They won game one in Oakland, which I think even after winning a couple in San Antonio, people thought they couldn't do it. Um, so... I feel like I know, I know, you know, 82 game sample size, it makes a lot more mathematical and logical sense to go with that. Uh, but I, I do feel like this has been a different team over the last month. And, and maybe, maybe there's some recency bias in that answer. Um, but, but just from a, from an execution standpoint, I think it's hard to argue anything else. Honestly, they've, they've even defensively, they've just taken it to another level and, and obviously home court matters i just don't know if it'll matter as much now as it did if you know the thunder team of march were playing this game yeah that's a good distinction as well uh you know because i we all know mentally these guys are tough they don't give up uh every time the thunder or the warriors wanted to try and like get some separation throughout the course of the series it was like they'd be right there except for the game two um and so i I, it feels that way it feels like that's not going to impress them that much you know, this loud crowd or whatever. I mean, they're used to playing that when it's cheering for them. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just feel like it seems clear to me that if the Warriors in game six allow the Thunder to get that like 12 point lead early, like or in the first half, that 12 point lead becomes 25 in like two minutes. And yet it didn't happen. I, I was shocked. I mean, I had given up. I had to go to an event and I, you know, I turned up. I couldn't believe they cut it to seven or six before the half. What do you, what changed in that in the second quarter that allowed the Warriors to not get that, that let the game get out of hand? Well, the death lineup didn't get killed, um, which which I think was a big difference. I mean, I think the death lineup outscored the Thunder eight to seven in the first half, and they were like thirty two to twenty on the night. Um, and when the Thunder went on those run with the, what the that run with the small with their small lineup with you know Katie at the four and and Robertson Waiters Ibaka Westbrook out there, um, which a lineup which was just destroying them in uh, the two wins in Oklahoma City the first time. Uh, that was kind of when they went on the run with that lineup, and uh, it it just didn't execute quite as well. Um, you know, obviously the 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 Warriors are guarding Robertson differently the last couple of games. I think that's made a big difference, just having Curry on him, and they they clearly look more comfortable. Um, I, I wonder, and I think you could speak to this better than I could. I wonder if if that strategy with with Draymond just 
I mean, people say Draymond was guarding Robertson and staying in the lane. He wasn't even guarding Robertson. He was just in the lane. Um, And and no one was guarding Robertson. I I wonder if that had anything to do with Draymond not kind of looking like Draymond those first few games. Like if if him thinking so much about – because to do that, you kind of have to break all of the habits that you built up throughout the whole season. And – I wonder if him thinking about that so much just kind of he was overthinking things and it it got him off his game and and once they stopped doing that he started playing better in other unrelated seemingly unrelated facets of the game and I, I wonder if it's just him being a little more comfortable too. You know, I I here's what I think because uh, I don't I don't know if I agree. I feel like the yeah uh, completely ignoring Robertson works great in game two. And the second that Donovan was able to adjust to that, and like we've seen what he did, they, they had him cutting the basket and then setting ball screens. Uh, all of a sudden, that's what threw, I thought, uh, the Warriors out of whack. Because they certainly expected Robertson to just spot up in the corner like he always did and to stand there. And, um, and so, yeah, when they got back to just good old-fashioned five-on-five, man-to-man defense, just play it like whatever, they, 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 they seem to be able to play a lot better. What I think has gotten Draymond off is Kevin Durant. I think they've been playing Kevin Durant the four and matching up with him. And I just think that he doesn't, you know, here's a guy who's longer than he is, which doesn't seem possible because, you know, Draymond's arms are just so ridiculously long. And, and, and Durant, uh, I, I think we can all agree, this defense that Durant's played in this series is by far the best defense we've seen him ever play to the point where I said on yes. Twitter, I think that Kevin Durant is as good as Kawhi Leonard when he plays defense like that. He doesn't do it all the time, and that maybe rightfully so. But man, right? Like I don't think he, I don't think Kawhi would be any more effective on defense than he's been in this series. He he has been he's been incredible, um, and so much of it is just his length. I mean, it's funny it's funny how we say they're going small, right? They're going small with a, a six eleven power forward and a six ten center, and that's going small. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's. I was talking to Michael Lee from from Yahoo about this, and he was saying that Mike D'Antoni, um, he's saying that Mike D'Antoni calls it skill ball, not small ball, because he's not just putting out small guys for the sake of them being small. He's doing it because small guys have the skill set that he wants, and he calls it skill ball. Un- unfortunately, skill ball doesn't rhyme, and rhyming trumps logic. But it really <laughs> is, it really is skill ball. Like when we talk about sk- small ball, we're really saying it's skill ball. Kevin Durant is a more way more skillful four who can do a lot more things than your average four on both sides of the floor defensively he has been so locked in I I think it I think it's safe to assume that's had some effect on his down shooting the last few games I mean I think he's playing so many minutes he's played 44 minutes 45 minutes the last couple of games and he's so much more locked in on defense I mean he's always had defensive ability and I think he was better He's had better defensive seasons than he did this year. Not to say he had a bad defensive season, but he didn't have his best defensive season. Um, just because it's really hard when you have to carry an offense, even co-carry an offense with Russ, to just go all out on every defensive possession. I mean, there are so few stars who go all out on every defensive possession. I mean, you can count them on one hand. And it's not because they're divas and they don't want to. It's just you can be in incredible shape and you just – it's hard to have that energy to carry a team on both sides of the floor. And and I think that's part of why he's probably been been shooting a little bit worse lately. It's just so exhausting. And uh but he's been cutting off passing lanes. I agree with you. That does have a lot to do with Draymond. He's uh, with the way Draymond's played. I mean, cuz he has been unbelievable defensively. Um but but not even 
on the ball. I mean, yeah. we talk about he's been unbelievable protecting the rim. Oh, yeah. And just rotating and help. Like, he's been a legitimate backline defender. And I think that's something we haven't really seen from him in the past because he's had a little bit of an unwillingness to play the four. And that's not just on him. Like, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a star player who likes playing a position down. Um, but but he has been an unbelievable just help defender from from the low block. And that is an incredible development. Like he's, he's just like verticality, verticality. If I'm going to make up that word and it's, it's been, it's been awesome. Oh, I know. I really, it's I think I really do feel like that's intimidated Draymond a bit and made it hard for him. Cause you know, the bread and butter play that the Warriors like to run is throw the ball to Draymond in the post. And then they have clay screen for Curry or vice versa at the elbow or higher than that. And like, they're not even running that right now, uh, hardly at all. And, um, you know, part of it is is that when they're getting it down there, and and Kevin Durant's on him, like Clay, uh, Draymond is, is, is having, he can't make. They're going to cut back door on that switch, and it should be open, but he can't get the pass there. And then he can't go one on one. Like he doesn't feel like he can do that either. Um, and so it's been a revelation, and I hope that we can continue to see that because you're right. If 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 Durant can play defense even like eighty percent of what he does now, like during the regular season, then yeah, he's he's the best player in the NBA, like without yeah, question. It's amazing, even even in the losses. Uh, it's it's amazing how the Thunder have been able to take away, like as you call them, the bread and butter Warriors plays, right? Like even even that that really high pick and roll with Draymond, like they're not running that nearly as much as they did. I mean, they're, they're, you're barely seeing that. It's because the Thunder are just switching like crazy, and they're doing it so seamlessly. I mean, even even when they get a big on on Curry, like Curry might score, but he's not getting off threes. He's going to the rim. Like right. when Steven Adams switches off onto Curry, Curry tends to feast on big men when he gets that. And he just – he does that crossover dribble and then shoots a fadeaway, which might be a bad shot for anybody else, but it's a great shot for him. And Steven Adams has is, is blocked a couple of his jumpers. And, and I think he's intimidated Curry into just not wanting to take those shots. And Billy Donovan has talked about it a lot. And it's a very analytical concept in that once the shot goes off a great player's fingertips, you're not controlling the shot. It doesn't matter. What you want to do is you want to take away attempts before you want to take away, you know, actual makes and misses. Because if a guy's getting up a lot of shots and he's a great player, stuff's probably going to get in. You're not going to disrupt a great player on that sort of stuff with with closeouts. And, and the fact that even Steven Adams, it's not just, you know, guards and wings who are used to defending on the perimeter more so than a big man. Even a guy like Steven Adams is just forcing Steph into being uncomfortable enough to now he's driving to the hoop. And, you know, Kevin Durant has been so good as a help defender. And I think Ibaka has, uh, you know, he's not like prime Ibaka right now, but I think he's been better than he was in the first two rounds defensively. Um, and it's certainly been a net positive. You have those guys who are good help defenders in the back and it's just making Steph's missing layups too. It's it's making those shots harder, um, and that's that's a, that's been a real positive for the Thunder, even in their losses. I think you know I I I, I want to ask Stephen Adams if he's been really studying tapes of Steph on big men on the perimeter. Maybe somebody else has already asked that, but he had a move in Game Five, or I'm sorry, Steph had a move on him in Game Five. He didn't budge. It would have been the exact move where every big man would have gotten his hand up and out of position. He literally just stayed down and stood there and waited. I think maybe it was the block, uh, that second block he got. He just stayed down and waited as if he had studied so much tape of him. and He knew that that was the move and then waited, waited, okay, and then he shot it and he blocked it. Um, that, that to me, again, is one of the more impressive things, which actually leads me to my, the final idea I want to throw out at you is, you know, with Russ being Russ, 
And Donovan coming in, and you know, it's a situation that's already well established with these guys. My take on it is, is that he probably said to himself, you know what, we're not ever going to be able to like coach Russ up. He's not really going to change. We're not going to be able to get him to make better decisions, whatever, whatever, from a coaching standpoint. So let's get in there and let's get Adams better. Let's get Dion freaking Waiters to play like that, right? I mean, I feel like that must have been what his, his, his mindset was. He's like, they, those guys are there, and, it, and that's what's been really end up hurting the Warriors the most. Does that sound like that might have been what their mindset was? Well, I, I will kind of disagree with you on one thing. I, I think he actually has honed in Russ a little bit this year. I think Russ is a much better facilitator now than he was two years ago. Um, I think he's a better, in terms of just a passer, uh, I know I know we've always had differing of opinions on Russ. I've always been very, very pro-Russ in all facets. But oh, okay. he's, uh, <laughs> I think, I think he's, he's, a, he's a much better um, passer now than he was okay. a couple of years ago as a facilitator. And I don't just say that because his assists per game are up. I think he's, when he's in penetration, I think he kicks out more promptly to the corners. I think he, he doesn't miss, he doesn't miss those guys nearly as much. I think he's much better with those dump off passes. And maybe it's because he feels a little bit more comfortable with the weapons, I guess that, that are around him. I mean, I think, you know, Ennis Kander, I think he has a lot of respect for Ennis Kander's offensive game. And I think he has a lot of respect for Steven Adams' improved offensive game too. Um, and so maybe just kind of finding those guys in pick and rolls, he's just more comfortable doing that kind of stuff because he trusts those guys more. I guess that's possible. But for whatever reason, I think he's gotten better at that. And yeah, as as to your initial question, I mean, Dion Waiters has been a revelation during, <laughs> during the postseason. Uh, I think I, it's kind of been Billy's initiative all year. Um, he doesn't call it changing Dion. He just says, he, I forget his exact terminology, but he's always specific to say that he doesn't think Dion needs to change. He just talks about how it's, it's certain adjustments. And uh, Billy does deserve credit on that because that's something he's worked on extensively. Um, you know, if you, if you look at Dion's regular season numbers, you know, in terms of the, the raw numbers and that kind of stuff, it's yeah, obviously he didn't, he didn't have a great regular season. Um, in terms of efficiency or, or anything along those lines. But you could see that his game stylistically started to change. He took way fewer mid-range jumpers than he had during any other year of his career. Uh, I believe his shots at the rim went up a little bit. Um, he was uh, His usage just shot down. I mean, his usage was like 17% this year, which is you know below average. And people hear Deion Waiters and they think of the guy who was standing in the corner in Cleveland jumping up and down for the ball when LeBron and Kyrie and Love were on the floor. And uh, I think just from a – if you want to judge the process, not the results, I think you could say, all right, well, if he's got ability, he's clearly making some sort of an effort to change his style, to change his process, and maybe something will come. Uh, and I think this postseason, we've we've seen something come. I don't know if this is the type of player he is for the rest of his career. Um, I think it would be – I mean, it's certainly possible. He's a talented guy, uh, but I just think it's silly to make that sort of projection off of one postseason, you know, or else you're Isaiah Thomas with Jerome James. <laughs> but he's, uh, I think he certainly can do this. He's, he's made a conscious effort to make the change, and now only like 15% of his shots are mid-range jumpers during the playoffs. Um, and and he's, 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 he's been really good as a driving kick guy, I think, and he's finishing around the rim at a higher percentage because I think he's picking his spots better. Right. Um, and he's still young, still only 24. I mean, there's reason to think that he could develop both physically and mentally. You know, it's guys aren't the same forever. So, so Billy deserves a lot of credit for Dion. For sure. I think for sure. 
and he's he's like the point guard. He's playing point guard to start the fourth quarters with this weird lineup that's been working really well. I, I almost feel like if you were to ask Dion how well he thinks he's playing, I think he'd probably say, you know what, I'm playing crappy. Like I don't even think he thinks he's playing well, but it's the best he's ever played like for a team in his role ever, and he's been helping them win. And you know what I mean. But I'm sure he's thinking, man, I'm, I'm not doing anything out here. I, and I for whatever the coaching staff won't let me, whatever it is. But man. He really has, and it's been uh, really instrumental. And, and like you know, he kind of didn't do great in Game Six, and that was definitely a problem for them. And they're gonna they're gonna need him. They're gonna need him to do some good decision making and stuff. Um, what is your prediction? What do you feel like? What do you think is gonna happen in Game Seven? Hmm. Well, I'll backtrack for one quick second. I think Dion is very consciously aware of the change that he's made to his game. Like I think he's 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 talked about it. Okay. I, I think he's and and he's become very self deprecating which is a change in Dion Waiters' personality. I mean, somebody asked him how his mentality changes now that he's playing more point guard and, and uh, how he's playing more point guard. And he said, what's your mentality when, you're, when you have the ball now? And Dion laughed and he said, oh, 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 I like having the ball. I think everybody knows I like having the ball. And so I think he's becoming a lot more self-aware of that kind of stuff, which I think is probably something that's facilitated the change in his style. Um, as for the game... Um, you know, the prediction game has not treated me well this postseason. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I guess I'll say Warriors because um, it's, it's, it's in Oakland and, you know, it's a, ro- a road game seven is just so tough. I mean, when was the last time we saw – I guess the Clippers won a road game seven against the Spurs last year. Uh, so I guess that's the last time we saw that. Um, Wait, that was in – are you sure that was in San Antonio? Oh, that was in L.A. That was in L.A. Yeah. Yeah, that was in L.A. So when was the last time we saw someone win a road game seven? I don't even remember that. Like the Mavs. Somebody said something about the Mavs maybe, but like, I don't know. Um, Or maybe the Mavs lost it uh, uh, in one of these things. Um, I don't know. But but either way, the odds are are, the odds in the historical context are not great for the Thunder, right? Oh, the Clippers did win a road game seven in uh, Memphis Uh. in two. In 2012, there was something up with that, though, wasn't? Oh, yeah, there was something really big up with that. That was uh, somebody got suspended, right? Or no, was that the, not, not, not that year? That so, was the following Clippers Memphis series when Blake got hurt and Memphis came back and won four straight. Well, no, but what was the one where uh, Zebo got suspended for some kind of not a really deserved punch, fake punch? Was uh, that that one? I don't, I don't remember oh. honestly. I just, no, I no, I'm sorry, that was Thunder. That was Memphis Thunder when remember like something was oh, Adams. Right. Uh, that was yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of playoff uh, in the games in my head swimming around. So, all right. So you're gonna you're, you're gonna have to choose the Warriors. Yeah, I'm gonna, I I I think I'm gonna have to take the Warriors just because it's it's a road it's a it's a home game seven and I, I got to go home game seven with a 73 win team. It's just too tough. But I could I, I'm like 50.149.9. I'm not even 5149. Oh, wow. That's one. Okay. Yeah, I just I think I think the Thunder. Um, I think a lot went wrong with the way the Thunder played, and it was a lot of fixable mistakes in Game Six. Um, and and I think a lot went right with the Warriors in Game Six in terms of just making tough shots and the things that didn't seem quite replicable. Now maybe they're so good that we have to redefine what replicable means in terms of shot selection and shot quality, and that's certainly a legitimate argument to make. Uh, but if I'm just basing it off of games five and six when the Warriors won, I think I think we're going to see some things that are going to change with the Thunder just in terms of 
you know, Kevin Durant is shooting 35% over the last three games. And I just, I would bet on that changing. Uh, I don't think he's going to shoot 35% in game seven. Um, and, and so I guess I'm picking the Warriors more because of a home, a home game, but it's with the way that the Thunder have played so far this postseason, it would, it would be totally unsurprising to me if they, if they pulled it out. Fair enough. You know, I'm looking up online where we're talking and I see that it looks like in 2005, Detroit beat Miami in the conference finals game seven on the road. Um, and that's that's the most recent one. And there's not too many conference finals that have, have that have the whole the road team has won. So but again, it's, those those road teams didn't have Russ and KD on their team. Um, yeah, it's, I think we're going to get a good I mean, I hope we get a good game. I guess that's part, one of the, my first wish is that we just get a good game. It's not uh, ragtag. It's not a fill of fouls. It's not, you know, decided by a ref. Uh, you know, those are the things at least we all start to win when we when we get those things going in our favor. So, uh, but yeah, it looks like, you know, did they did the was their will broken that there is their spirit completely not there anymore? Um, I, I think we could both agree that the Thunder are, are stronger than that. Like they're, they're not going to let this game six loss hover over them into game seven. Right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I don't get that impression at all. I mean, what's funny is they're they're a young team. I mean, they're still a young team. We think of like Russ and. KD and Ibaka having been together forever, but like those guys are still, and they have those three guys obviously have playoff experience, but I mean, Adams is 22 and Waiters is 24 and Canner's like 23 or 24. And like a lot of these guys are really young and even like KD and Russ, I mean, they have playoff experience, but they're young guys. I mean, they don't, their, their veteran leaders are, are guys who don't really play. I mean, they're, they're Collison and, and Nasr Muhammad and, and those guys and the guys who play are all, you know, Robertson's really young and they're, they're all really young guys. Uh, and, and it's funny that we, we talk about them like this resilient veteran team, which I think is a treatment that you get when you beat the Spurs, when you beat the Spurs, people talk about you in a different fashion. It's just the way it is. Uh, unless of course you blow, I bring up the Clippers a lot, but unless of course you blow a three run lead to three, one lead to Houston, the next series, but people talked about the Clippers last year, the same way people talked about, uh, you know, the Thunder now and the Clippers blew a 3-1 lead. And I guess I guess the Thunder are trying to avoid that exact same narrative right now. Okay, well, we're going to have to find out with uh, bated breath what's going to happen tonight. Uh, not quite tonight. Well, for some people it's tonight when we release this uh, and find out. But Fred, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts with us. So um, we'll have to find out. We'll see uh, who's right and who's not. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You got it. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You win. Are you in, Fred? I'm very in. (laughs) All right. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. 
It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better.